While you guys are greeting um, each other, I just want to take a moment and actually honor these guys up here on the worship team. Um, a lot of you may not know, but um, a lot of them are dealing with things uh, that, that they've come here with tonight and um, out of their own sacrifice. I know that there was somebody's car that broke down, and a lot of them wear many hats and come from you know, jobs that they hold uh, during the week. And, um, and, and they're here early uh, to lead us in worship. And so I just want to honor them and, and also honor uh, Paul, our, our shepherd. Um, you know, he's, he shared with me a little bit um, before I came up here and just how, you know, God is working in his life through this uh, kindness series even. And, you know, he's, he's incredibly kind already. And uh, for him to have the humility of spirit to be able to allow God to, to move in his life even more, um, it's just a great testament to who he is, and, and he's truly an inspiration. So, um, you know, I, I didn't plan to do that, but uh, I just thought it was appropriate. Um, I actually received a letter in the mail um, about a month ago regarding my benefits at work. And actually, now that I think about it, it's, it might have been um, a lot earlier than a month ago because um, I don't know about you, but I maybe check my mail like once a week. <laughs> um, and that's literally to grab the pile of mail that accumulated during the week and set it on my desk. And then I get to that pile maybe like that month sometime or the month after. I might be the only one. I'm telling on myself here. But um, because I keep up with all my bills online, right, and, and whenever I do my Amazon shopping, I get that delivered to my door or any online shopping that I do. So, you know, why bother, you know, checking the mail? And I'm, I'm sorry if you work for the post office. I'm not trying to say that your job is insignificant. I love my mail lady. I truly do. Uh, but basically, this letter... Um, you know, if you haven't seen a letter recently, um, that's important. Some of them say, like, um, do not discard, right? It says, like, return service requested. And um, the way that my company does things is uh, basically at the end of each year, we have this thing called open enrollment where we enroll in our benefits for the following year. And, um, and basically, we can log into this website we can call a number, but basically we go through this list of, you know, medical and, and retirement and all that and enroll in what, um, in what we want for the following year. Well, anyways, um, so this particular letter, I open it up and I'm reading it and it's, it's basically saying this. It's saying that if you're not enrolled in the retirement program, that we're going to automatically enroll you at a certain percentage of your income. And if you are enrolled, then and you're not um, and you're not um, uh, investing the company match percentage. If you're not maximizing your investment, then we're going to bump you up to that percentage. And so I'm like reading this note, and I'm like, man, it's getting hot in here. Um, they're talking about automatically taking my money, my hard-earned cash. And I don't know if you're like me, but I get kind of heated whenever people talk about taking my money. It's like, am I working for the federal government? What's going on here, right? And I don't know if, if you're anything like me, but 
I get heated whenever, um, whenever they talk about, you know, I'm taking your money or if I have like a big bill coming up and it's just like, man, this is overwhelming, right? So we're continuing our kindness series tonight and this one in particular uh, really wounded me and I don't know if it's because uh, it messes with my wallet, um, but I just invite you, if you're like me and you get heated about talking about money or anything like that, just Try to lean in a little bit and listen to what, what God is uh, trying to speak tonight. Let's read together from Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 3. It says this, While he was in Bethany, at the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured it on his head. But some were expressing indignation to one another. Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they began to scold her. Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a noble thing for me. You always have the poor with you. And you can do what is good for them whenever you want. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body in advance for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. And when they heard this, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he started looking for a good opportunity to betray him. So let me set the scene for you. This occurred at the tail end of Jesus's ministry, before his death and resurrection and ascension, um, and possibly uh, just days before his actual arrest. Now, Jesus stayed in the town, this town called Bethany, often. That's what it seems like, and if you read through the Gospels, it seems like Jesus stopped into this place several times. In fact, that's where he started his Palm Sunday um, trek into Jerusalem. That's, in fact, where he ascended from into heaven, it says in Luke. Um, and the 12 disciples were there, um, and, and so were other people. We know that this woman was there, right? And, um, and we actually find out in the book, uh, in, in John's Gospel, chapter 12, that uh, this woman um, that came and, and poured out this perfume on Jesus' head, that her name was actually Mary, and she was Martha and Lazarus's sister. So this was a family that was actually very close to Jesus, um, and I'm not for, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but uh, scripture actually says that Jesus loved Lazarus. And, and actually, there were women that followed Jesus around, and a lot of New Testament scholars believe that Martha and Mary were, were actually wealthy and that they provided for Jesus' ministry. I find this account, like, extremely affecting, and I think it's probably because I can identify with a lot of the people that were there in that house that night. Some scholars believe that the reason that Jesus went to Simon's house was because of a celebration that they were throwing Jesus and Lazarus 
because Jesus actually raised Lazarus from the dead after he was dead for four days. And I can just imagine, you know, the joy and the gratitude that people that were in that house probably felt. I mean, honestly, you know, thinking of just Lazarus in particular, I mean, <laughs> the joy in his family that they must have felt uh, to Jesus. And if they invited new people in, um, you know, just the awe and wonder that people had at this, at this man named Jesus. Um, there aren't really many details of, of Lazarus other than, of course, that he was dead um, and that Jesus loved him and actually raised him from the dead. But New Testament scholars actually believe that Jesus spent a lot of time at his house and they believe that he went to Bethany whenever he wasn't traveling for his ministry, that he would stop in at Lazarus's house and they would kind of kick it, you know, and they were just, they were just bros. Um, the fact that they were at Simon the leper's house is just a completely different story. And I don't know if you're familiar with the, uh, with the way that lepers retreated in that day. But basically, lepers, um, they, were, they were condemned. They were thrown out of the city gates. They had to live in the wilderness. They were basically homeless. And they were treated as condemned by God, that they were cursed by God. Their understanding of the Levitical law brought them to believe that. And so the fact that they were at Simon the leper's house, and actually if he was there, that would mean that Jesus had actually healed him from his disease. And that in and of itself is, is just incredible to me. And, it, and scripture talks about um, a couple times where Jesus interacted with lepers. There was one time in particular where he got off the boat and this leper came and knelt down at his feet, and Jesus approached this leper, and he didn't just heal him, he actually reached out his hand and touched him. And now, I don't know much about leprosy, but from what I understand, leprosy is extremely contagious, so I can just imagine that the crowds that were there that night probably were like, <gasps> as he was reaching out his hand to touch this leper, but that's what Jesus was. I mean, he did things you know, over the top. He, he just blew people's minds. And then there was Mary. You know, um, actually in one of the Gospels, it talks about um, when, it's, when it's accounting, um, when Jesus actually raised Lazarus from the dead. And after that occurred, I found it interesting that basically Lazarus didn't, um, it's not recorded that Lazarus, you know, talked, about, talked in church about his, death experience and his bringing back to life, and it's not recorded, you know, if he saw a light and, and you know, what he did with the light that he saw or his experience of, of the afterlife or anything like that. What's actually recorded in Scripture is that people, after Lazarus was raised from the dead, people actually came to who? Mary. And Mary evangelized these people from what Jesus did for Lazarus. To me, that's incredible because it wasn't even Mary's, it wasn't even Mary's miracle. It was Lazarus's miracle. But for Mary, it wasn't about the miracle. It was about the miracle worker. Mary was one of the disciples of Jesus that just hung on every word he had. And like I said before, I mean, she actually 
probably was one of the ones that supported his ministry. She sat at Jesus' feet, and in that culture, the feet of the rabbi was reserved for men, one, and the closest, uh, the closest men to their rabbi. But she didn't care about that. She didn't care about what was culturally pro- uh, proper. She wasn't even concerned at all because this was her rabbi. This was her prophet. This was the king that displayed incredible power over death even. This was the Messiah. And, you know, it was just a response that she had to who he was. It was customary in that culture to anoint the body of someone after they had dead for burial. And I don't know if it was what happened earlier that week with her brother Lazarus, um, but she seemed to be one of the only ones that actually understood that Jesus was about to die. And what was her response? She anointed his feet and his head. Mary broke the alabaster jar. She came into the room, broke it open, it says, and poured the perfume over Jesus' head. And this perfume in this alabaster jar was worth 300 denarii or more. And what that means is that about a denarii in that time was a day's wage. So that was essentially a a jar and perfume. The, The jar and its contents was worth a year's worth of wages. And she broke it open. She poured it over Jesus' head. The perfume ran down his body, probably filled the room with an aroma. She moved down to his feet, poured the rest out over his feet, and began to wipe his feet with her hair. Then it says again in Mark 14, starting this time in verse 4, it says, But some were expressing indignation to one another. Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they began to scold her. In Matthew's account of this event, the sum that the scriptures are talking about here in Mark were actually the disciples of all people. The disciples were expressing indignation and they were upset at Mary for what she did. But then Jesus comes to Mary's defense. He responds in verse 6, and it says, Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a noble thing for me. You always have the poor with you, and you can do what is good for them whenever you want, but you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body in advance for burial. And truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, What she has done will also be told in memory of her. I actually wonder what the disciples were thinking right now. Um, Because it appears that this event occurred maybe the day after Jesus was preaching and, and talking about the separation of the sheep and the goats. Okay, and if you're not familiar with that, Um, let's read it together real fast. If you have your Bible, you can find it in Matthew 25, and this starts in verse 31. Listen close, this is so important. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, this is Jesus talking, then he will sit on his glorious throne. 
all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will, be, and he will separate them one from another, just as a shepherd she- separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and and, and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And this wasn't the first time that Jesus talked about taking care of the poor. I mean, that's a pretty intense picture of how we are supposed to take care of the poor. And it's a noble thing to do, right? So when Jesus says in our story, that, at, at Mary's story, that she has done a noble thing, it's not to disqualify taking care of the poor as being not noble, you know, It's to actually elevate what Mary did on the same level and say, what Mary did is noble too. And we don't actually know what the disciples were thinking here. I mean, I'm reading this story, I'm preparing for this message, and I'm like, God, show me. What what were they thinking? They had to be caught by surprise a little bit because this is this story of the sheep and the goats. I mean, this has to be fresh in their mind. And the only clear picture we get is actually from John's gospel where it says that Judas Iscariot, we get a picture of his motives and that's to control the money and to later, to basically steal it after he controls it into his money sack. Maybe the disciples responded in that way because they were jealous and maybe... The way that I see it, maybe, and, and Scripture doesn't say this, so it's my, purely my speculation, but travel with me here. Maybe it's the fact that maybe they say, okay, this is, this is what we're required to do to be counted among the sheep. So I'm going to be righteously indignant in enforcing this new requirement that Jesus has given us by being, you know, indignant and upset about not taking care of the poor and this waste that's occurring. Whatever it is, to me it's clear that the disciples were putting more value in the alabaster jar and its contents than they were in the actions of Mary. And I believe the revelation of this happens in one key phrase in Jesus' response, and I don't want you to miss this. He said in the first part of verse 8, she has done what she could. And I think so many times I excuse myself from, from seemingly insignificant moments just because of what I don't have, right? I, I might not have enough resources, enough money. I might not be smart enough. I might not be outgoing enough. And so I excuse myself from these seemingly insignificant moments and I, I, I just discount them 
whenever they have weight of eternal consequence. I mean, this is a moment that they're just celebrating what Jesus had done for Lazarus. And Mary steps into this moment in complete surrender, in a complete abandon of the value of her sacrifice. And she breaks it open and pours it out over Jesus' head. So Jesus said it's, she's going to be known for this wherever the gospel is preached. She didn't go into that room thinking, oh, I'm going to become famous. I'm going to do this for a pat on the back. No, this was complete surrender. She didn't even have to do it. She didn't have to do this. Remember, it was customary in that culture to anoint after burial. But she did what she could because of the unconditional love that she experienced from Jesus. And to me, that's incredibly freeing that she did what she could. And this was seen as noble. You know why? Because I don't have the most money. I don't have the best credentials. I didn't graduate from a university. But that's not what's required. I get to do what I can do. And let God take what I can do and make something beautiful out of it. Sometimes we need to be encouraged in what we can actually do. And I think Peter is an incredible example of someone that needed to be encouraged in what he actually could do. You know, Peter, sometimes he gets a bad rap because, you know, it seemed like he was the one always messing up, right? But Peter was the only one who abandoned a perfectly good boat to jump out on the water and meet Jesus. And in fact, Peter was, one, was the one that Jesus looked at and said, you're a rock, and on this rock I will build my church. And in fact, that was later realized because in Acts, Peter was the first one to preach the gospel to the Jews and also the Gentiles. But I wonder what Peter, if we ask Peter what he could do after the rooster crowed and he denied Jesus for the third time, I wonder what he would have said. I know what he did. He actually went back to his boat, took some of the disciples with him, and he started fishing again because that's what he knew. That is until Jesus made breakfast at the shore and called him out of the boat and asked him one simple question. Do you love me? See, God takes us beyond what we think our capacity is. Peter was defeated, man. I'm sure of it. I guarantee you his thought wasn't, I'm going to be the, the foundation of the church. He was defeated. But God takes us beyond our capacity and stretches us beyond what we think we can do into what we're called to do. You see, grace elevates my response through the requirement into the outer limits of what I can actually do. 
It's not what I have to do, but it's what I can do. And then God takes it a step further. He says, I'm going to take what you can do and I'm going to just blow your mind because I'm going to press it together. I'm going to shake it up and I'm going to pour it out into your lap, overflowing. I know the requirements like do not steal, do not murder, right? Give a tenth of our money. To love my neighbor, not to envy. But those things are just regular. Those are the things that the Pharisees did or thought that they were doing. That's just regular, man. I want to do all I can do. I want to be all in just like Mary. And I believe that's exactly where the abundant life exists. It exists beyond the ground level, beyond the bare minimum. It's where your faith is engaged and you step out into what you can do in every moment. Generosity is not just another obligation for a Christian lifestyle, but it's a response to all that Jesus had, has done for us. You know, Jesus didn't just come as Emmanuel, God with us, and walk among us and experience our pain and our hurt. He didn't just do that. No, he invested his whole life into not only our future or our retirement, as it were, but in the here and now. Scripture says it's for freedom that he set us free and to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth, to our lives. He turned the whole investment thing upside down. In the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament, the way that things worked were they had the Levitical law, and if they followed the law, then God was going to bless them and sustain them. And in fact, the Bible says that he would fight their battles for them, and, and he would open up the floodgates of heaven. But then Hebrews says that there was a better way, and we know that better way. That's when Jesus came. And he invested his whole life in the greatest display of love. So that you and I can reap the dividend. Because start drawing on the investment. And that dividend is grace. As the band comes up and our pastors come down front. I said at the beginning that this account, this story in, in scripture was very affecting to me and, and it's because I identify with so many other people in that room. Because I was Lazarus, I was dead in my trespasses and sin. And Jesus gave it all for me. I was Simon the leper. I was condemned in separation from you guys, from my brothers and sisters, my family. Until I accepted my heavenly father's adoption. 
he reached out and touched me, began to heal me of my sin and my shame, and spoke no condemnation over me. I was the disciples. I can remember times where in the past where I would buy something and I would say, that's my contribution, that's my tithe to the church. It's because I thought that the church needed it or something like that. I, I wanted to control the money. And I might not have stolen in the sense of was a thief of, of a money bag. But there's been several times where I've stolen somebody's time. See, I identify with so many people in that room. And I so desperately want to be like Mary. In a response to the unconditional love of God, she did all she could do. So we asked ourselves a couple months ago, what does, what does love require of me? came down front and received prayer, but that was so regular. That was so two months ago. Tonight, I'm going to be the first one down, and I want to invite you to come down and ask for revelation for what you can do. And I think it might look different for each and every one of us. And woe be it for us to judge each other on what we can do. You know, for some of us, it might look like surrendering and complete abandon and raising our hands and getting excited and worship just like we would for our favorite team. For others of us, it might be to not look the other way when we see a homeless person in need of something. Could be to sit with somebody and spend time with them and, and not try to fix them, but just to listen. could be to meet up with a family member and try to restore a relationship. Forgive somebody. Could mean to step beyond the bare minimum of a tithe and invest in Jesus' idea, the church. Whatever it is, let's do all we can do. God, you've done so much for me that I've not deserved and I could never deserve. And your yoke is so easy and your burden is light. And I thank you for fulfilling my obligations so I could step into what I can't do. Love you, Lord.